Welcome to Aphesis Church Podcast Channel. If you're in Columbia, South Carolina area, we would love to get to know you better and for you to experience what Aphesis is all about. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at aphesischurch.com. It is our prayer that this message truly speaks to you. God bless. We're just continuing in tonight, continuing on our relationship series. And I want to say um, thank you to uh, each of you who offered just such um, kind words and interest following last week's uh, part one. And um, just had a really tr- and, you know, tremendous response uh, from, you know, from multiple people. And it tells me that this topic, these types of topics, are uh, important to you, amen, as they should be. <laughs> You're talking about relationships. And so thank God for a pastor who um, is sensitive enough to the spirit of God and his leaning, amen, to be able to instruct one to even put together a series on relationships. And as I stated in my last one, this series is not just for married couples, um, but we are all, each and every one of us in this building, and listening elsewhere, we are all in relationships, uh, whether that be intimate, whether that be um, uh, parent-child relationships, relationships with our coworkers, so on and so forth. We all can use the principles that the Word of God gives us and how to have right relationships. And I'm going somewhere um, here at the end. Hopefully we'll, uh, well, I have to wrap it up next week, so <laughs> we'll, uh, but um we're going somewhere with these with these principles. And so uh, last week I made three claims about relationships, right relationships. The first claim was that healthy relationships are the bedrock of societies. Uh, the second claim was that healthy relationships in the church function as models for the world. And then the third claim was that healthy relationships between God and the individual advances the gospel. How many believe that tonight? I mean, if you've got a right relationship with God, it gives you and affords you the ability to propel the gospel forward and to really talk about the God that you believe in. Amen. When you actually know him and I mentioned and I'll mention it again tonight, I've mentioned it in passing before that when you know something, when you know someone, you have a relationship with that with that thing that you know or that person that you know. And so. Uh, and I brought out how, you know, God has known us and, and, and told one prophet in particular that he knew them before he was even formed in the womb. And that was really a one way relationship, a one sided relationship, because obviously in the womb, we have no knowledge of God, um, but he knows us. And so even then, at that point, he cares for us and he loves us and he he desires to have relationship with us. And then the expectation then is that when we when we come to and we, you know, uh, come out of the mother's womb and whatnot, and we begin to live and and interact with people, then we would we would express and be models then for the world for the love that God has had for us. Amen. And guess what? It's not just in your house, not just in your household, that that expectation is uh, is made. But again, as I stated before. It's uh, it's across the board and it has a, a, a multiple uh, applications. And so uh, 
I want to wrap up tonight talking about the foundation, and we poured a lot into the foundation last week for obvious reasons. Uh, the foundation is perhaps the most important part of the house. Um, if we're talking about building a social structure, you've got to have a firm foundation. We know neighbors in our neighborhood who uh, we found out after the fact, uh, I probably would have gone with a different builder, but we found out that um, there are neighbors in our neighborhood who, you know, their home was built five years ago maybe, and they have a big crack in, the, in, the, in their uh, ceiling um, starting at the front door. Well, where does that come from? It comes from a poor foundation. Having one of the one of the areas it comes from is, is from having a poor foundation. And so, if I had known that, I, I, I would have uh, I would have chucked up the deuces and said, "Never mind. We'll uh, we'll stay in this apartment for a little bit longer until we find a, 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 an appropriate builder." But that being said, foundations foundations are extremely important. And so, I poured a lot into that. Uh, last week, hopefully you gleaned something from it. Um, but where I left off was in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, uh, 10 through 15. We were wrapping up that section. And where I left it was asking you the question, what materials are being poured into your foundation? And I made a couple comments about, uh, you know, the way that I was raised and how I wasn't raised in the church. I had visited churches before. Um, but I was not raised in the church by no stretch of the imagination. And um, yet my mom, she did, she, the foundation she poured wasn't all bad. There were some uh, golden nuggets, if you will, to be had poured in that foundation that made me who I am today, caring for other people, um, protecting those who can't protect themselves, standing up for your family, working hard. So those things, those things she did help to pour into my, uh, my, into my foundation. But when it came to the spiritual matters, that's where I was lacking. And I thank God, I thank God for the church and I thank God for his saving grace to even think of me when he was on the cross. Amen. But what are some things that you're putting in your foundation or that others have put in your foundation? Some of the worldly things that I can think of is uh, comparison, envy, bad teaching, or the lack thereof, no teaching at all. What about this one, unresolved trauma? Unresolved trauma. Now, we in the world, or are we in the church, not this church necessarily, but Many in the church still don't believe that that counseling, say, is is necessary when we're going through something. And they quote things like uh, uh, scriptures in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus is talking about a literal demon being cast out. And they say, well, you know, if that if that can be done, then, you know, God's going to take me through this, even though I've got all this baggage, I'm, I'm working with a terrible foundation. Uh, you know, and, and the church is doing all they can to help me. There's really something that needs to be done other than what's happening. Let me, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is sometimes, and this might be radical for some people, but if Jesus Christ said himself, these things come out, but by fasting and prayer, in my mind, I go where there must be some things that don't come out by fasting and prayer. So then where does that leave us? Well, thank God for firefighters. Well, where are you going with that? Well, if your house is on fire, you can pray and travail and speak in tongues all you want to. But until you call a fireman to put that fire out. Now, can God do a miracle? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. But until you call a firefighter to put that fire out, you're going to be in there screaming and travailing and probably burnt up. Because in that moment, what you need is a professional. Somebody who is trained at putting out fires. And so if those things, these specific things, demons, don't come out but by fasting and prayer, then we have to understand and accept the fact that there are some things that won't come out by fasting and prayer. And guess what? That's okay. Because God also gave us the, the uh, uh, industry of counseling. The wisdom that these people have, the wisdom and, and you know that people have been credited with. Uh, uh, John Gottman is one that I can think of who's wrote, I think his first name is John, who's wrote many books on uh, in, in the vein of marriage and relationships, and he's established his institute. All of this wisdom comes from God in the first place. Before I attended uh, Abilene Christian University online, I, I, I was actually a student at Liberty University online. And earlier, early in that uh, course curriculum, one of the videos on the blackboard, it was one of the instructors talking, and he said something that has stuck with me ever since. This has been in like, this has been since like 2017, 2018, 2017. But the reason I wanted to attend a Christian counseling school that has a Christian worldview is because I know what the opposite teaches. I know what some of these worldly uh, uh, counselors teach. And so whenever we, and, and Pastor and I have done this many times, whenever people have come and they ask us questions and we refer them, we always say, hey, we'll help you find a Christian counselor, somebody who has a biblical worldview, who can, who is a professional and who can help you through that situation. But they used a word at Liberty, this particular professor used a word called uh, being incarnational. As counselors, we want to be incarnational. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you think about what Jesus Christ did, he was God incarnate, wrapped in love and kindness. And so somebody who professes to be a Christian counselor is someone who is, is if they have uh, if they've taken any coursework at Liberty, uh, they have adopted this mindset of being incarnational so that when you come into my office, I can work with you, not judging you, not casting blame on you, not saying, oh, you should know better. You're a saint. We were all sinners, not saying that, but saying, hey, let me walk with you through this. Let me be as God has been to me, show you grace and mercy and kindness. I am not God, no, but I can, I can, I can uh, allow the Holy Ghost to speak through me to help somebody through a situation. I'm talking about houses being on fire, guys. And if, if, if that's you, if you are somebody who has unresolved trauma and you've been praying and travailing and speaking in tongues and nothing's changing, well, guess what? It's probably not a demon. You need help and that's okay. Amen? You need help and that's okay. But um, this idea can be further, and just to wrap this up, can be further uh, explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Again, Paul here talking about uh, foundations and uh, things being built that were not established of Jesus Christ. He says, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So again, 
If your house is not built using the best materials, the best labor-intensive materials, some, some that I mentioned last time, then when the trial by fire comes, you will lose the house and you will be scarred in the process. So you've got to be willing to pour into your foundation, and I'm talking relationally, pour into your relational foundations things that are established of God. And so we've been, hopefully you've been hearing me and understanding me, that's what we're walking through. We're walking through what pieces, what does that, what materials should be used in the foundation that is the relationships we have with other people. Let's move on to the walls. That was just the foundation. Let's move on to the walls. Walls help shield you from dangerous and fluctuating weather patterns. Walls are necessary in order to separate the occupants inside the house from those forces on the outside of the house. Walls also provide support for the floors and roof. Look at that, it all acts together. Walls transform the house into a private intimate atmosphere. That's what walls do. Uh, I want us to know this, that separation is not a curse word. Sometimes separation is necessary. And in fact, when you talk, I, I tell you what, I, I'll say it this way. Uh, who wants to live or who would prefer to live in a house that didn't have any walls? Go ahead, raise your hand high. Come on, if you, if you are against separation, being different, I'm talking about being different, being distinct, and being particular. If, if you are against that, then you might as well say you're okay with living in a house without any walls. Because that's what walls do. They separate you from those forces on the outside. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 18 says, Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. I love this because what is Isaiah talking about? Isaiah is talking about Zion. What is Zion? Zion is a city. What is a city? A city is a social structure. Look what he says. He says, your walls shall be called salvation. The word used there is Yeshua. Yeshua. Does that sound familiar? Jesus. Walls denote refuge, shelter, salvation. Mm. My prayer is that our relational walls would be called salvation. Why do I say that? Well, the walls you build around your relationships should foster security, refuge, shelter, and salvation. This way, your relationships are not surrounded by insecurity, toxicity, criticism, and belittling forms of communication. But instead, your walls act as salvation, maybe for somebody else. Because your, your house, your, your, uh, the structures that you have created, your social structures that you have created are so strong, so principled in the word of God that when others see you and they look at your house, they want in. They want in. And they want to be a part of the blessed hope that you have. Isaiah also says, your gates shall be called praise. The word there is tehillah, or a public praise. And when we build our relational walls or our gates out of materials provided by God, praise and thanksgiving can't help but be on public display. You can't help it. You can't help but, but see the, the gratitude that we have when we build our lives around 
things and principles that God has outlined in his word. You can't help but see the joy that we have. Yes. You can't help but see the, the, the worship that we have for God in our hearts. You can't, it's, it's, it's on public display. The whole community is looking out and, and, and they see you worshiping. They see that, that praise. They see praise and worship in your gates. Amen. Now, gates have always been and have always existed for a number of reasons. A couple of them is for preservation and for observation. You think about, uh, uh, what is it, the Berlin Wall. Um, or actually, a better one would be Buckingham Palace. The walls around Buckingham Palace helped to protect the treasure on the other side. And people come up to it and they observe, they observe it and they're awed by it, right? The same thing can happen in and for our relationships when we are built and principled on the word of God. Another type of gate that you can think of is not the gate that, you know, that wooden fence that we have in the back of our yard or some of you may have around your house, but gates in the form of arches, right? They call them gates like the, uh, the Brandenburg Gate in Germany or the Gateway of India, or the Meridian Gate in China, the Washington Square Arch in New York. These are, uh, you know, for, for um, old language, if you will, these are gates, but what do they do? They act as communal grounds, places for people to, to meet and fellowship and come together. This is what God is saying, our walls, are, or, or Isaiah is saying for the city of Zion, and I told you before that these principles are, yes, they can exist at a 10,000 foot view, but they can also uh, exist on a, on a, uh, 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 a miniature view or a micro view, right? Down here, down to the level of us, this relationship that we have, the social structures that we have. This is what God is, is intending for us in our relationships, that our walls would be called salvation and that our gates would be called praise. Praise God. Amen. Moving on to the roof. The roof protects the occupants and their possessions from dangerous weather patterns. Again, the roof is a covering. And the fundamental purpose of a covering, the fundamental purpose, is concealment. Yes, there is concealment for the sake of maintaining a sacred status. We could talk about the tabernacle. Again, I'll, whenever I, the word tabernacle comes to mind, I always think about the series that pastors, uh, pastor does. Um, I'm sure we're, we're we're coming up due for that soon, praying through the tabernacle. We can talk about uh, concealment for the sake of maintaining that sacred status. Yes, we can also talk about concealment for the covering of sins. But in the context of relationships, there are three things I want to bring out in terms of concealment. The first one is concealment for protection. Okay, remember, our relationship with God is a model uh, for our relationship with others. Psalm 91 and 4 says he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shall thou trust his truth shall be thy shield and buckler psalm 17 8 keep me as the apple of the eye hide me under the shadow of thy wings a lot of covering talk psalm 61 4 i will abide in the tabernacle forever i will trust in the cover of thy wings selah Recalling or, or going back to Isaiah again, Isaiah 51, 16. And I have put my words in thy mouth and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth 
and say unto Zion, there's Zion again, that social structure, thou art my people. Here's a question for you. Do we take our relationship serious enough to pray that God would cover us in order for him to plant us, to lay, which or another way to say that is to establish, and to say, to plant, lay, say, plant, lay, and to say over us, to plant. Plant is the process by which your relationships are rooted in God. This, what comes to mind, this is an Old Testament idea, but it's also a New Testament idea. What comes to my mind is the parable of the sower who threw seed on different types of ground. And one of those grounds was a, uh, was a stony ground or a rocky ground. And what happened to those? Yeah, they, it sprouted up real quick. But the Bible also says that there was no, the soil was not deep enough. So what happened? The sun came and scorched them out. So it's important for us, if we're understanding Isaiah 51, 16, to allow God and pray God cover us in the shadow of his hand. Cover us in the shadow of the hand. Why? So that our roots, we won't get burnt up by trials, but our roots will have a chance to go deep in his word, to go deep in our relationship with him, and then in turn to go deep in our relationship with others. This is the, these are the principles being laid out here in the word of God. To lay. God says he wants to lay the foundations of the earth. This is the process by which your relationships are built on the foundation established by God. I've already covered foundation. I'm not going to do it again. But again, to plant and to lay. And then the last thing is to say over us, thou art my people. When we allow God to do these things, when we allow him to cover us under the shadow of his, his mighty hand, then he stands back and he looks over us and he goes, you are my people. But notice also, God is building something. And what I imagine in my mind is, yes, that thing he just built, what he planted, and then he laid foundations for. When he says to you, you are my people, he's saying, come on in the room. You know that old song? He's inviting us to partake Right? There's a relational exchange going on. He's inviting us now to live with him in that dwelling, in that place, in that, that structure he just built. So that's, that's concealment for protection. The next type of covering is to protect you and others from violating established boundaries. Now I'm going to stay here a while because this is very important. Drawing on Isaiah again in Isaiah 6-2. This is the uh, the, the send me experience that uh, God is talking and he's, he's having a, a, a consultation, if you will, with the hosts of heaven. And he's asking the question, whom shall, whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? Of course, we know Isaiah said, send me, right? But here Isaiah describes the seraphims as having six wings. Two covered his face, two covered his feet, and then two were used to sustain flight. Now, if you're familiar with this, this verse of scripture, or, or maybe you're really familiar with it, a question should, should come to mind, simple question, why? <laughs> why is this happening? Why is Isaiah so specific in describing these seraphim? Recall that they were in the presence of God, okay, whose majesty and holiness is too potent to approach casually. Right. 
So Isaiah is clear to spell out exactly that these these seraphim are not just there in God's presence, just, you know, consulting with God. Like it's just some everyday thing. Like, yeah, God, what you up to? How you doing today? You know, what are we conquering today? What forces? No, 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 no. There is reverence being relayed here. Okay. So an even more uh, salient example of this. The boundaries can be found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 23, where Noah is being described as a farmer, uh, apparently had too much fun with his uh, harvest, whatever he was harvesting. But he gets drunk and he falls asleep in the tent. And Ham, we know this story, Ham, the youngest son and future father of Canaan, sees the nakedness of his father. And then look what it says in Genesis 9, 23. Shem and Japheth took garment laid it upon both their shoulders, went backward, covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Again, establishing that boundaries are important in family. Boundaries are important in our relationships. Now, this is a little bit of a, of a side, but, uh, you know, maybe you can go study this out a little bit further, but there are a couple different, couple different, um, theories as to what is happening in this story. It's a very interesting story to me. Um, I think there's something more happening than just a son seeing his father naked. Uh, I also don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that it was some type of homosexual encounter that Ham had with his father. But a more compelling idea, I think, again, more, more study is warranted. This is something you can go study out yourself. How many like studying the Word of God? Everybody raise their hand. Amen. Um, is that perhaps Ham had done something with Noah's wife. Which, if that was the case, again, spells something very important for us to do in our families, which is to remain sober, be vigilant, right? Because the adversary, the, the devil, is, is roaming about, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may, if I may, violate, Right. And turn. So we have to be we have to be sober, not like Noah, but we have to be sober in the sense that God, that we are aware of the enemy's devices. We are aware that the enemy is out to get our family. So you go study that. Go check that out. Um, relationally speaking, boundaries tell us where our personhood ends and others begin. Boundaries define our, our responsibility relative to others, and boundaries help establish limits of control. Uh, you three, come here. Just, just stand right here for me. You three, you stand right here. Yep, yeah, so stand right here. Come on, you two, Talon. Come on. Now, I want you two or you three to lock arms real tight, lock arms real tight. I mean, we talk about boundaries here, real tight, real tight. Y'all just hold hands, hold hands, and just just kind of walk this way a little bit, Olivia. Come this way a little bit. Yeah, just enough, just enough to where it's stretched. And, and, and Ivy, you go that way. Yeah, okay, just stand right there for me. What I want to uh, present to you is again the importance of boundaries. On my left here. We'll call this relationship, these relationships enmeshed, okay? We'll call these 
Actually, you know what? Olivia, you go stand by the window. Yep, you go stand by the window. You go stand up there. Uh, and and you're, you're, you're good there. We'll call this side rigid. Okay? Now, this is what happens in our relationships. In relationships that are so enmeshed, no clearly defined boundaries, when one person gets upset, we'll say Talon, because he just looked like he could just get mad at somebody, right? When Talon gets upset, guess what? Everybody else is going to get upset. When Talon gets sad, everybody else is going to get sad. Same, when, when, when anybody in this relationship group goes through some sort of intense emotional turmoil or dilemma, it affects everybody. If they have an argument in this enmeshed type of environment, no, again, no clearly defined boundaries. When they have an argument, there's not one cool head that can prevail and say, hey amen, calm down. Why? Because everybody, they're, they're so tight, they're so close, and we say, that's good, I'm glad they're like that. No, no, no. We need to have some balance. I'll get to that in a minute. Y'all just stay there, just all nice and hugged up. This side over here, we can say is the rigid relationship. And where the boundaries are, are too differentiated. Okay? And so when Ivy over here, all by her lonesome, goes through something, we'll, we'll say this is mom. Mom can't connect to what Ivy is going through. She can't get, she can't even relate even to, to you know, Ivy having a, a, a fit or some type of emotional ter uh, turmoil because the boundaries are too, too spread out. In other words, they're not close enough for her to even be able to counsel her on whatever. You're having boyfriend troubles. Whatever might be happening. And all the kids, weird. Y'all so weird. But there's nobody in your unit, in your social structure to help you because the boundaries are so spread out. Uh, Micah, come here. Grab Petro's hand. Come, come, come. Hold my hand, it's okay. So, what we want in our relationships is something that looks a little bit like this. No, not with three men. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me. What we want in our relationships is something that, something that is balanced to where the relationships can exist enough to where there's differentiation. We're not all huggy, huggy, buddy, buddy. Why? Because when you go through something, I need to be able to say, look, man, you, you, you get it together, right? I need to be differentiated enough to know that his issues are not my issues. Hello? His anger does not have to be my anger. His sadness and so on and so forth. And so I've got to be able to exist in a way in this. And, and, and again, this is applicable. Thank you. Y'all can, y'all can. Thank you, y'all. Y'all can have a seat. This is applicable in any relationship type that you can think of. Prime example. Uh, I talked to a pharmacist a couple weeks ago who uh, we had to interview for criminal reasons. And he, uh, 
he made a comment in the, in the interview. He said something along the lines of, I hate working here. I hate this place. And what we found out was that he had been working for about 20 days straight. No, no day off. You, you got to understand what that does to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. 13 hour days, 20 days straight, okay? And another comment he made was, the technicians here don't help me. I tell them to do something, they don't do it. They all gang up against me. Now what's happening in that relational structure? You have a, an outsider coming into an environment where everybody is so enmeshed and, and together that, that they can't even reason and think logically to say, hey, if we don't help this dude, our patients are going to suffer. There's no, there's no, there's no logic. In, a, in that type of relationship structure because again there are no cool heads somebody needs to be able to say look look guys he needs help his partner's not you know coming into work so on and so forth so but these these types of relational structures these dynamics if you will can be applied across the board so here's your homework when you leave here think about the types of relationships you have in your home and on your job Let's just start there. Oh, and let's add one other one. And your church, this church. Think, think about the types of relationships you have. Are you enmeshed? Are you rigid, too rigid? Boundaries are, 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 are too spread apart to where you can't even, you can't see somebody else's dilemma? It's all about you? Or do you have some sort of balance in there somewhere? The interesting thing about the two rigid types of relationships is that, uh, and I was telling my wife this, studies have shown that those types of relationships and those types of families, if you will, end up growing up or, or end up having very successful businesses. And the reason is because everybody is an employee. <laughs> They've learned how to operate on such a level that everybody's employee. They're not really family. They're employees. Dad's the CEO, that's it. Mom's the president, that's it. There's no relational exchange outside of that. It's all work, 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 work. And they have very successful businesses, but their relationships are in shambles. They don't work. Even, even, not even their home relationships, but their relationships when they try to get married and have uh, healthy relationships, it don't work. Why? They have no foundation. Going all the way back full circle. They don't have a firm foundation on what it looks like to be selfless. Right? Hmm. Healthy boundaries exist when individuals are engaged but appropriately independent. We're engaged. I care enough about you to listen to your troubles and to try to help you through it. But at some point, I got to understand that I can't, I can't be too enmeshed with you. Some of y'all are, some of y'all are, this is starting to click for some of y'all because you're thinking about some of your family dynamics and you're going, man, that is so true. Every time my sister gets upset, the whole family is like, I mean, they're losing their head. Every time dad comes home 
and he's angry, we lose our heads. Why? Because you're too enmeshed. All right, I'll move on. The last covering, <laughs> thank you, brother. The last covering is to prevent shame. Now, I talked about Noah and Ham. We can talk about Adam and Eve covering their nakedness, following their shameful awareness. We can talk about the Mosaic Law requiring that diseased and infectious people cover part of their faces and cry unclean in order to warn others to stay away. And that makes sense under the Mosaic Law. That makes sense in an honor and shame culture. That's what the Hebrew Jewish culture is, is to this day even still about, honor and shame, honor and shame. And uh, so that makes sense. But when we jump over to the New Testament, the, the New Testament, the New Testament, there is a, another principle covering, if you will. First Peter 4 and 8. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I think Old Testament would have been a little bit different if they just had a little bit of love, a little bit of love. Right? A little bit of love to understand that, yeah, he might be, and, and I know, I, look, I got 45 minutes, right? Not left. I'm already out of time. But there's so much in, into this when I'm saying these things about their culture and stuff. But the bottom line is this. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ was trying to move the people away from being so much about honor and shame and more about love, right? More about compassion, more about realizing that it's not that that face covering that covers your sin. It's the love of God that covers the sin. So guess what? You don't have to wear it. You can take that off because you're you're, you're covered by the grace and the love of God. You don't have to walk around. You don't have to walk around with that shameful garb on. You're only wearing it because of the shame underneath it. Take it off. Exist and dwell in the presence and the love of God. So in the New Testament, love is the principal covering. So here's a question to you. When somebody makes a mistake in any of your relational dynamics, what's your response? Do you criticize? Or do you care for them? Do you judge? Or do you just extend just love, just, just some love, right? Now, love comes in, a, in different ways. There's tough love. Like I was saying to my, my friend Peter, get it together, right, earlier. Get it together. But I'm not going to uh, uh, cast you aside and say, I, I, be, be, be gone from me, right? Why? Because when you need help, I want that bridge to still be open so that I can then help you in that season. Amen? Love is the principal covering. Um, I'm going to do the windows, and then we'll be done. I'll do the windows, because that'll lead right into uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. I told you I may not get to it today. That's okay. So let's talk about the windows. No house would be complete if it didn't have any windows. So we've talked about the foundation. We've talked about the walls. We've talked about the roof. Now we're going to talk about the windows. If your house didn't have any windows, you know what it would be called? It would, it would be called, huh? 
an insane asylum. <laughs> That's what it would be called if you didn't have any windows in your house. Um, <clears throat> windows allow light to enter into a room. Windows allow fresh air into a room. Windows allow for the exchange of air into a room. Uh, windows allow for blessing to be received. Malachi 3.10. Bring ye all the tithes. And Pastor actually used the scripture in his uh, treasure series, or is using it in his treasure series. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Here's what I want us to understand from this. You bring and God opens. Simple. You bring, God opens. What this identifies then is a relational exchange between us and God. Interestingly, this verse of scripture uh, is, is uh, preceded by God rebuking the people for robbing him. As, again, as Pastor brought out, I believe this Sunday, God rebukes the people for robbing him. And then he says, here's a contrast, here's some contrasting behavior for you to consider. Instead of robbing me, causing me to shut the windows of heaven, why don't you bring to me the tides and into the storehouse and watch me open the windows of heaven. You see how that works? Amen. So easy. Should be. But bad relationships are built on selfishness, as we know. Good relationships are built on selflessness. I mean, that, that just don't get no plainer than that. You bring and the relationship opens. So in the, in the context of our relationships, when you bring things into the relationship, the relationship opens up. Now, this can also have cultural ramifications or cultural implications because we know that there are some cultures in the world who, I don't know if they still do, but they used to rely on dowries, right? Before you can take my, my daughter and marry her, have a relationship with her, I need to know what you bring to the table, bro. <laughs> right? Show me the money. Show me the land. Show me something. Show me the, the goats. What do you have? What can you bring to the table? Guess what? We still do that today. We may not say outright, show me the money. We may not say, show me the goats and the lambs and the, and the cattle and the land, but we do it subconsciously. We want to know, we, some, of, <laughs> some of us do want to know how much money is in the bank before we say I do. And you wouldn't be wrong. You wouldn't be wrong at all. Bless God. But then some of us and, and perhaps this is even more important. Some of us want to know and should want to know what type of person are we getting in a relationship with? What type of relationships does that person have? My, uh, all of my sisters are younger than me. Uh, bless them. None of them except one of them are married. But anytime they would mention a, I have three sisters, anytime they would mention to me, that uh, they were, you know, talking to a guy or interested in a guy, I would say to him, what is his relationship like with his mom? If you, can, if you can tell me how many big brothers are in the house, raise your hand. Yep. You do something similar to your, to your younger sisters? 
or your, your younger sibling, what's the relationship like? Kyle, you better ask that when the, when the time comes. Which means, guess what? Your relationship with your mom also has to be good. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You can't expect people to treat your sister uh, appropriately if you don't treat your mom and your sister appropriately. Now, I'm not just picking on you. That's, that's for everybody. I just so happen to lock eyes with you. Blame it on the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so, but what that means for us again is we've got to, we, that's, the, that's what we're looking for. That's the exchange we're looking for, the, 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 the currency, if you will. We want to know what type of relational income is this person bringing to the relationship. And if they're depleted, you better flee. Because there ain't no amount of love in most instances that can overcome those things. I go back to what I said earlier. That person needs help. They need prayer. It may not come from you, though. What it, may, what it may lead you to doing is losing yourself. We go back to what I said earlier about being enmeshed. When you marry yourself to things and to people, you get yourself involved and you get too connected, you end up getting hurt because there's no differentiation. At some point, there becomes the, the, the lines become blurred. Blurred. The differentiation begins to break down. So ask yourself those questions. But when you bring things to the relationship, the relationship opens up. There's, a, there's an opportunity for an exchange of old, stale air. Tension in the relationship has the opportunity to escape. Let's all stand. I promise next week we'll do Ephesians 4 and 5 because where all this is going is immensely important for us as believers. And I'll go ahead and say this right now. If we can't figure out how to love each other and love others, there ain't no way we can fight against the actual enemy. So that's the little spoiler for next week. That's where we're going. Amen. That's why these principles are so important. How you administer them is up to you. I'm just giving you the, the groundwork. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. Amen. Thank you for your word that teaches us and guides us. I thank you for these principles mm, that are here. God, help each and every one of us to continue to learn, continue to open ourselves up to understanding your word. God, and I pray would you bless every family that is here represented. Cover them in your love and your grace as we continue out this week and let our relationship with you to continue to be a model for our relationships for the rest of the world. Everybody say it in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by this message and you would like to connect with Ephesus Church or you would like to get in contact with the leadership of this church, please visit ephesuschurch.com. Thank you for being a part 